0: Welcome to the Pure Championship podcast. I'm Chris Sampson on hosting duties this week, and I'm with Cami Anderson as ever. Hello, Cami. Hello, Chris. Nice, nice to get a welcome for a change. Yeah, no, we kind of stopped doing that recently, but we'll we'll start it again for this one, because it's a slightly different episode for us this week, Um, we only had a couple of matches this weekend, so we thought we'd switch things up a little bit. Uh, We're going to be focusing on the top and the bottom of the league, Um, so Hearts and Aloha obviously both separately managed to grab 1-1 draws this weekend, uh, and we've got Hearts fan Adam Kennedy to chat uh, through uh, everything about Hearts. Hello, Adam.
1: How are we doing, lads? All right?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, and we've got Kieran Mooney to chat through everything. Aloha. Hello, Kieran.
2: Hiya, uh, how's it going?
0: Yeah, not too bad too. Um, let's just get straight into it then. So we are going to touch on Hearts first, I think. Um, I just said to Adam before we started to record that my weekend on Twitter, uh, the, my feed was basically uh, taken up by the majority of Hearts fans that I seem to follow not being particularly happy. Um, obviously, uh, kind of as I said before, grabbed a one-one draw with Queen of the South uh, on Friday night on BBC Scotland. But it seems to be uh, kind of the anger and annoyance goes a little bit deeper than just Friday night's match. So we thought we wanted to touch on it. And Adam, just kick us off. Obviously, top of the league. But that, are you unhappy? And and why is the fan base unhappy? If if you're not
1: i would say that the fan base is unhappy chris in in recent weeks with the performances um and we are picking up the results i think our last three matches obviously against cami's pars um a united down at somerset and obviously the weekend there at palmerston in those three games we've only scored from open play once and i know that seems a bit cheeky given we've back we've grabbed what two back-to-back one 0 wins and obviously then a one 0 draw but I think with our playing budget, the perceived size of club and what have you, it's um, it's been underwhelming. And I know that that reeks of arrogance, given we've won something like 12 of 16 league games. Um, but I think I think some fans are quite rightly demanding a little bit more, in my personal opinion.
3: So you're, you're obviously wanting more. You splashed the cash in January. You made a few signings. Gary Mackay steven came in. Armand Nandwe came in and... A few others, Mick and F, and uh, are on the wing as well. What have you kind of made of these new signings? Obviously, is that enough for for you in your book, or did you think you needed more? Um, I think I think we got it so
1: drastically wrong in the summer with the recruitment in the wide areas, particularly um, Elliot Freer and Jordan Roberts. Don't look up to scratch, obviously now Jordan Roberts. Has been loaned out to Motherwell in the division above, which is absolutely crazy to the majority of Hearts fans. So the fact that we've managed to bring in somebody that's established in Scotland and Gary Mackay Stephen, Gervain Castanier's are unknown, Armin Nandwili's unknown, but it's got a decent track record. Aaron F for the most part is is largely unknown. Um so it's it just seems to me as though it's it's certified gambles, if that makes sense. We're we're sort of going off players' reputation and I don't want to say achievements, but certainly they're, they're past sort of records, if you will, um of of one or two seasons prior. I mean Aaron McInneff is a prime example. I hadn't even heard of him yet. Joe Savage, obviously the new sporting director, seems to have been tracking him for a number of years. He earned rave reviews with his performance um in the Europa League against Milan uh, in the playoff so yeah it just it seems to me as though it's it's unknowns but obviously Robbie has a, a track record of doing this basically because when we got promoted he would he would pick up the likes of an Arnold Jim and Juanma and Igor Rossi who would develop into top players for us
0: touch on Robbie. A little bit more, I think. Gavin Owen kind of covered Nielsen and Hearts a little bit on our main podcast this week, and their main question was, is winning the league good enough? I think we'll we'll touch on that a little bit more in a second, but in terms of this season so far for Robbie Nielsen and for the approach, and, and maybe a little bit on that recruitment as well, for me, it doesn't really seem like there's much of joined up thinking there and it looks as though Robbie Nielsen can't really settle on what he thinks the best way to go about setting up in a match is.
1: I totally agree Chris I, it's funny I, I couldn't really tell you anything regarding our tactics but like you say he seems pretty stubborn with a sort of 4-2-3-1 formation and it just constantly tinkers with personnel. I get that sometimes it's a case of you know different horses for different courses but I just feel as though the constant chopping and changing isn't all that healthy. Um, And I think you're right. I think it also appears as though the manager is perhaps unaware of his best 11 in some areas. Um, The back four should pick itself. He's obviously told me firsthand that he's a big fan of Liam Boyce. So as for the midfield, which obviously in, in the formation that he likes to play is arguably the most important part. It doesn't seem like we've got anything set in stone just yet. Cammy and and maybe Kieran as well, bring
0: you guys in a little bit because I feel like we saw this last season with Robbie Nielsen and and Dundee United too. Cammy, you and I talked about it quite a lot. Kieran, what what did you make of Dundee United last season as one of the, obviously, the, the kind of biggest team in the league, the best team in the league because they won the league, but you probably saw them a couple of times last season. What did you make of them? Did you think it was a kind of similar situation?
2: Yeah, it seems so. I don't think Robbie Nielsen's particularly. I think he, he doesn't make it any secret. He's not a fan of plastic pitches, and he doesn't seem to be a fan of of playing playing a team like Aloha that are just a kind of stuffy team and and will sit back and and soak it up. It always seems to me with um, with Nielsen's teams Hearts and Dundee United, they're going to win games. They're going to win the league just because of the calibre of players that they've got. I think you see something similar with with Celtic in the last four games. They've won all four games. There's no real, you know, tactics or style being imposed. They're just winning because they've got individual brilliance, or they just are better players on paper. And eventually, that does get found out if you don't have this sort of identity. And I feel that's what kind of Robbie Nielsen's done. He comes into the championship. He, he takes the biggest club. He signs the biggest players, and of course, they're going to win. But are they going to do it in style? Probably questionable.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you're yeah, spot on there. Last season, certainly Dundee United made a, a fantastic start, and largely thanks to Lauren Shanklin's kind of goals. But kind of from about the midway point on, I think me and Chris batted them every single week, and they just they were horrid to watch. They completely stumbled to the title that they could have won by an absolute country mile. Of course, the season was cut short due to COVID and whatnot. But even still, they could have had the league wrapped up weeks and weeks in advance kind of thing even before the season and if they just kind of kept the foot on the gas and it kind of seems similar here with hearts it's they made the good start they've kind of got that lead and probably insurmountable I can't really see anyone overtaking obviously there's a few teams of games in hand in that but even still it's it's a tough ask for for any team and obviously hearts need to drop some points somewhere if teams want to pick, well catch up so yeah I can't see Hearts not winning the league, but I think, as Kieran says, it's it's questionable whether they'll really do it in style and in a way that Hearts fans would probably want to see their side play. But I think, I'll ask you now, Adam, there's been some arguments that maybe the team could do better in the Premier League given the, the kind of quality of the team. Like, they're maybe not really going for it just as a Championship kind of just need to do the bare minimum, get through. Do you think this is maybe fair, or do you think there's a lot more to be done if he's do go up, which I think as well? Um, no, do you know, I, I can understand why some may believe that
1: we'd be better suited to, to being a premiership team. I, I just... My podcast co-host, Daniel McIver, made a great point in that it can be tricky for this current squad to motivate themselves for the matches against the likes of Ayr, Kieran Zaloa, and what have you. It just, to me, I think... I'm probably more pleased with their performances this season which were technically last season's in the Scottish Cup, which are obviously against both Hibs and Celtic. And I mean, these these games, these fixtures speak for themselves. You know, if you're a Hearts player, the Edinburgh Derby is probably your number one fixture to get up for, not keen on Celtic either. So the fact that we've obviously got the better of Hibs in the semi in particular, I think was a massive morale boost. And to come within two penalty kicks of beating Celtic's absolutely heartbreaking so it kind of I don't know it seems to sum up our season in, in some ways as well if we're taking it forward a little bit more and kind of going on what
0: Cami was asking you too Adam about maybe maybe being a little bit more better suited to being a premiership team uh, maybe because the overall qualities there like we've touched on a few of the signings that they've made obviously those signings have been expensive too. There's been kind of wage cuts. There's been wage cuts across the board and, and kind of British football and probably world football, to be honest. But have you seen enough in terms of forward planning for, for next season? Obviously, Joe Savage, as you mentioned, is is a newly appointed sporting director and he's he's made a couple of moves already. Um, as you said, McInf has, has come in and, and you mentioned that he was maybe somebody that he'd been tracking for a while. But in terms of forward planning elsewhere, do you think... Has there been any early indications of of that is the case and it's happening?
1: There's perhaps indications that we're trying to make it happen. I think Stuart Finlay was obviously a player that we were linked with on a pre-contract um, from Kelly. And I think had we secured his signature, he could have ideally been the perfect partner for John Souter, of course, who's out injured and has been for months on end. So I think had we found a sort of established centre-half pairing with those two for the Premiership, if, if and when we get there. That's probably as far as it goes, if I'm honest with you. I can't see... I mean, I don't think we've been linked with anybody for a pre-contract or whatever, Stuart Finlay aside. So it seems to me as though he's the only one that we're sort of opting for in, in this scenario. And I know that that's obviously not the only way to do things in order to prepare for next season. But to me... It just it seemed like it's a no brainer, particularly for Finlay, given he seems to me like the sort of typical better successor, a left sided centre half who I think is I think he's only twenty five, so got a good few years in him. And even even if his future lies beyond hearts, then at least we've brought him in for free. It's a relatively risk free signing. He knows the league. He's got a habit of scoring against us for whatever reason. Um, and
3: we could potentially sold them on for for a bigger fee in the future. So talking kind of on forward planning again, it would be wrong of us not to have you, the the kind of maker of the Portobello Pillow, as he's now known. Obviously, one of the players that has really impressed me and Chris this season, Andy Irving, but he's out of contract at the end of the season and going kind of by reports from recent weeks, there has kind of been contract talks, but. It just—it's a bit weird how it's taken this long for for it to kind of get to this stage. I think, and I think if you're wanting to build for the future, you've got to be building round the man you called Portobello Pelo, and obviously that's now now catching on.
1: No, I, I think you're bang on, mate. And I'm, to be honest, I'm very surprised that Hearts didn't make more of an effort once Ollie Lee had left the club. I felt as though once Ollie Lee had left for Gillingham, we were going to pile all our—I don't want to say pressure, but our, our hopes to an extent on Andy Irving. And ultimately, had we got Lee's wages sort of off the record, we could then offer Andy Irving that little bit more incentive-wise in order to sign on. Um, to me, I, I I just feel as though Andy Irving's future is bigger than Hearts, which is quite sad to say, but it's true. I think, I think we should do everything in our power to sort of tie him down to a longer deal in the sense that if we are to cash in, we do get a lump sum because to me he's absolutely top drawer and hopefully we do the right thing and not make the same mistakes of the past when we've seen the likes of Callum Patterson, Sam Nicholson to name just a few off the top of my head leave the club for ultimately nothing, which is a real annoyance for Hearts fans.
0: Yeah, I think you, you want somebody like Andy Irvin to maybe sign a new deal and have a go of it with Hearts in the Premiership as well because... Yeah, we've seen we've seen kind of some brilliance from him in the championship this season. But and again, maybe that maybe his situation hasn't kind of gone to plan as the way we'd have hoped. But Jason Cummings scored goals for Hibbs in the championship, and then I, I don't think he ever played for them in the Premiership. I think he left when they got promoted. So, like for me, I would love to see what Irving can do in the Premiership, and then if he kicks on further, and then he gets that move. And Hearts have done well to tie him up this season based on based on what he's done so far. I would love to see that happen, definitely.
1: In sort of Craig Levine's tenure, um, he was used at the start of last season in the Betfred Cup and he scored against Robbie's Dundee United, funnily enough. Um, and then it seemed as though it just it fell out of favour for whatever reason. And I think Daniel Stendhal coming in probably gave him that second lifeline. And, and I think he was then aware of the opportunity that he had given performed so poorly in the league under Levine. And it just seems to me as though he just players without, uh, plays without any cares. Um, and to me, if you were to sum up the Hearts situation, it seems as though we're dependent on a 20-year-old to create numerous goal-scoring opportunities in games, which for a club of Hearts' perceived stature and obviously the money that they're spending, I think basically speaks volumes. I guess just finishing up on
0: hearts a little bit adam like we've touched on kind of some performances this season but for me it looks like again there's been some good examples of great performances and a few examples of poor ones as well which uh, one of those will probably lead us very onto to to very nicely onto chatting about aloha uh, uh, in the next part
1: yeah, absolutely. That um, that Betfred Cup defeat still haunts me. The only consolation that I could take from it was obviously meeting Kieran, who who joins us on the pod today. So, yeah. Um, other than that, it's not been uh, it's not been not been too great. I think we we're talking about sort of expectations and the league being a minimum. That's another thing that's gone against Robbie so far. Not just this season, I guess, but over his his heart's tenure is the poor showing in cup competitions for the most part. And obviously now we've only got the Scottish Cup left, having been knocked out of the, the Betfords um, by the Wasps, as as we mentioned. So it just, it seems as though the Scottish Cup, to some, could be a saving grace for Robbie Nielsen, which is pretty harsh to say on the whole, but I don't know. We're, we're expecting more, I think, for the most
3: part. Just before we move on, this might sound a bit crazy, but would you sack Nielsen even if he's go up and maybe go down a different route? Maybe a bit of a controversial one because I've won the league with Hearts twice, but obviously we've seen with Dundee United, Robbie also wasn't sacked, he left, and they've also got Mickey Mellon and known a few Dundee United fans, and know they're not best pleased with, with Mellon in charge. Would it be something that, that you'd consider? Do you think it would make all that much of a difference? or? I'm,
0: just, I'm. I mean, before Adam comes in, I'm just expecting Robbie Nielsen to leave for the next best team in the, in the championship again. That's just what he he likes to do, is it not? He's just going to get promoted again from the championship next season.
1: Um, I would say that it. Look, I I don't want to talk about sort of managerial futures, but it to me it does, it would seem very harsh, um, and given Robbie's sort of track record with us. Obviously, the first time round, he got us promoted at the league, which contained Rangers and Hibs. So then he sort of loses two of the main competitors or sort of the usual suspects for your premiership top four, if you like. So I think that eased the pressure once we got promoted. And basically then third, I don't want to sound too arrogant or cocky here. I think it was pretty much nailed on, really. Um, so I get why it could be different this time around. Chris mentioned Friday night and obviously various Hearts fans' Twitter antics. I saw a lot of talk about Derek McInnes, which should his Aberdeen reign come to an end, I think that'd be a very intriguing move. Um, But again, it's sort of, there's playing style concerns. And to me, it makes more sense in terms of combining both decent league finishes and all right you know, cup competition showings. I know he's only won the one trophy with Aberdeen, but it basically gets them to Hamden pretty much every year. Whereas we went a good, good while without a trip to the national stadium. Um, and I think in a transfer sense, he sort of nicks players from other perceived smaller clubs and builds them into something bigger, whether it be selling them on for profit or getting the best out of them. I think the Sam Cosgrove bit of, bit of business basically is the prime example for that. He signs him for, what, 30 grand and they've just sold him on for 2 million. So it would make business sense in terms of league and cup showing. But again, there's question marks over the playing style and what could he extract from this current squad that Robbie isn't?
0: Yeah, I would be be concerned about Darren McInnes as well if he was getting River to be getting the harsh job, I think just because Aberdeen fans are pretty raging with him at the moment too, so yeah, that remains to be seen what's going to happen there. Um, We did allude that we would move on to Aloha, so let's do that. Um, Kieran, take us through a little bit of your experiences so far this season, because it's it's one that seems to be usual for Aloha and for Aloha fans uh, in the Championship.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's been a very, very strange season. I probably wouldn't you know, if you look at it, where we are now, not too much of a change to to normal, like you say, but it's a season full of change. Um, I think right at the very, very start for Alowa um, it was going to be totally different for the first time ever. The club committed to re-signing every single player in the summer, and that meant players that probably would have been released and probably would have dropped down the leagues, um, for sure, um, in the summer. So your kind of recruitment and in your squad was definitely hindered with the with COVID and then January as well. I think Aloha fans went into January with a bit more expectation of what they got. But just with the situation that we're in just now, it's it's not viable to bring to bring faces in. We can't really get players on loan because of the, you know, the different bubbles and, and whatnot. So it's been a very hard season with so many Struggles and challenges to overcome, but to still, of course, we're bottom of the league and delighted to be on the podcast, but not on the basis that my team's bottom of the league. But um, we're um, we're actually still we're still in the mix, so we're not we're not playing brilliant just now, but that's all you can ask for. And and like Alba normally do, we're we're a second half of the season team, so it probably is going much expected. Um, for most of us, when when we started back in October or whenever it was.
3: So we've now kind of reached that second half of the season where our, where our game in, obviously, 27 isn't kind of divisible by two, but we're kind of now in that second half. So are you now saying we can expect Peter Grant to? To lead Aloha to twelve wins from twelve in the games that remain of
2: the season. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you have absolutely anything to worry about with Alloa now that we're in the second half. I think um, <laughs> last last season uh, there was ten games after Christmas. We only lost one of them in the league. The year before that, under Jim Goodwin, uh, we went on a club record five game winning streak, where everything just seemed to fall in place. I think that season was the one where Patrick. Bundled it in with his hand at Falkirk. It was that bizarre goal, that own goal from from Morton. It was the Stephen Hetherington corner kick that went straight in. Things just seemed to fall in place in the second half of the season for Alloa. So, although you don't want to bank on it, um, we're definitely a team that that grow into the that grow into the season, and it's normally about now that we that we kick on. The only difference is um, we've just had a bit of a kind of static January. We've only really brought in one one new face. Um, so you're kind of relying on on the core that are there, but we've got quite a lot coming back from injury and whatnot. So um, f- fingers crossed that it's going to f- follow a similar pattern to previous.
0: The only difference as well this season, I guess, is, is as Cammy said, that 27-game season, Like it, it feels like there's so much pressure on on every single club to pick up as many points as possible. We've been touching on it when we've been chatting about, well, basically on every single week of the podcast, it's, it's, it's almost essential for clubs to be picking up points every weekend. And for me, it looks like, again, I, I've not really uh, looked at this in much detail, but it looks to me like Alois are the only team in the league so far that haven't gone on one of those streaks where their form just seems to turn up and they they manage to pick up points on a weekly basis. I think the only streak is kind of that recent one in terms of I think it's five points from the last five matches. I could be could be wrong there, and You'll correct me. But like we've had obviously, our both have propelled themselves up the league. Queen of the South have propelled themselves up the league. Morton went on a decent run after David Hopkin left. Like Air United were were really good and then really bad. Um, Inverness just don't play matches, so we've we've no idea um, what they're going to be like. Uh, and yeah, it kind of feels feels like Aloha have been the team that haven't done anything
2: yet. It's it's, it's a tricky one because, like you say, when you're when you're in a division like this, you could easily go five, six, seven games without a win, just depending on you know the, the teams that are in the league. And Aloha have, have flirted with the idea of going on some sort of run. I think when we um, just going back to the tail end of last year, after we'd beat Hearts in the cup, and then we we beat Inverness, we beat Arbroath, we did really well against Hibs. We were like, okay, this is us finally going to pick up some momentum. got a couple of injuries, and we were right back at square one again. And, and we didn't and we didn't win until until last Saturday against Queen of the South. And we went into that double header, Queen of the South, Arbroath, thinking, you know, if we lose one of those games, you can probably write us off i don't think the manager would have said that but it, it looked like that and although we didn't play great in either of them four points out of six isn't that bad it's just where we go from here because like we say we've we've flirted with the idea of picking up a bit of form and then we've just faulted away again and it doesn't get any easier because the next three games are all away from home and but we've really got to start kind of picking up points and this team's capable of it you know i said it the other day um they're very, very capable of going to somewhere like East End Park and winning. They've done it many times in the in the past. It's just we're yet to see that this season over a kind of prolonged period of time. So um, fingers crossed. But like you say, it's we definitely need to find a bit of form because everyone else around us seems to be just propelling up and we
3: can't be left behind. I mean, we've always kind of said on the podcast that Allo are perhaps the most unlucky team in the league. They always... Perform really well. We like the style of play. Yet they just don't seem to take their chances when they get them. And obviously, Ennis Cameron's now come in, scored the scored the equaliser at the weekend. What kind of impact do you think he can make?
2: I'm glad. I'm I'm glad it's not just my bias that thinks we're the most unluckiest team in the league. I'm glad someone else sees it as well. <laughs> no, Ennis is Ennis has been great when he came. since he's came in, he's really not played that much football at all this season. Um. And you could probably tell that in his first couple of games. But when he when I eventually got to the Rex and, and saw him in person, I was just like totally amazed at how big a guy he is. He's just this massive presence, really physical striker. And you can see him, you know, growing in, in, in sharpness and fitness as the games go on. I think he's he's pretty much played majority of the three games since he's been at the club. Um he's been really good. You can definitely see a kind of change in the way that we want to play with, with having him up front. He absolutely relishes a physical battle. He, he loves backing into defenders, roughing them up. Um, and that's something that we've not really had at all. Um, it's, not some, it's not a kind of striker that we've particularly adopted in the past, but it's something different. And, and hopefully it works. Obviously, he got his first goal on on Saturday there. Probably a large part of that to do with a, pinpoint cross from from Kevin Colley, who 's been excellent this season, but you know what he 's in the right place at the right time He's he 's a, a nuisance, and hopefully now that he 's got that goal and he 's got some more minutes under his belt, he can kick on because we really do kind of need someone to to step up and get the goals because it's we 've not really got anybody at all this season that 's done that so far
0: that 's been the thing that Cammy and I have kind of noticed on a on a weekly basis pretty much is that. And I think I said it maybe a couple a couple of weeks ago when we covered uh the Queen of the South match as well, is that he seems like an upgrade definitely on on what has been there so far this season. Um and I thought he looked really good in that Queen of the South match as well. He should have got on the score sheet probably twice. He had that uh, kind of chip that just went wide and then um he had a really good flick-on header, which he then should have got on the back of the net of in the cross as well. So I think he looks like he could be a real handful as you as you say. And uh, hopefully he is the the catalyst to to keep you guys up. Um, the thing for me and Cami touched on it there too is in terms of being unlucky, but there is also kind of style of play. Like we are always praising Aloha for being really good to watch, and like Adam, you'll probably find this too. And uh, yeah, we, we keep touching on that horrific result that Hearts did have, and I can see your face smiling every time every time we touch on it as well. But like. Alloa are a, not a bad team. They're not a bad footballing team whatsoever. Um, we managed to uh, get some stats, and Greg the Well fan on Twitter, he's, he's kind of providing us with some stuff at Pure Football, and he um, has said, I think it's on Scout that Alloa have the third highest number of passes per 90 minutes out of all the teams in the league, and the fourth highest passes per minute of possession as well, which kind of indicates... Like quick short passing which I think is definitely something that we've touched on before because I think this was something that I was talking about when I was commentating with you on that air game as well Kieran is that you notice when they're in tight spots that it's just two quick passes and quickly the ball is on the other other side of the pitch and that's Alawa out of that kind of danger zone but they actually only have the 8th highest possession figures of all the teams in the championship too so like they like being on the ball but not for that long it's like it's a it's a really strange one, and they keep they kind of sit off teams a little bit and let them have the ball. but when Aloha do have the ball, they're pretty decent with it
2: it's It's something that we've been renowned for it's you know it's a good thing to be renowned for I think some fans find it a little bit frustrating that you know on the radio or whatnot we're always told that we're a great footballing team but more often than not, we're probably still one 0 down and it's you want a little bit of bite, you want a little bit of kinda of nastiness at the back and, and some ruthlessness up top, but it's it's great. I would rather play the way that we play. Um, you know, we do play nice football, we we do try to pass it out in the back, even when we're we're chasing we're chasing games, we're not hoofing it up we're we're trying to pass through the lines. It does kinda bite you in the backside sometimes with the the our broth goal on, on Saturday, for example, it was like in a loose back pass, that ball should have just been hoofed fifty yards up the up the park. But if you don't give the players the freedom to make these passes and and you hound them for the mistakes, then you're not going to get that style of play. So um I don't mind the odd mistake if we're gonna if we're gonna see that if we're gonna see proper passing out from the back in the majority of the time. I think it's been harder this season um for Aloha I don't think we've really been as attractive as as normal. I, you can't question their work rate and their commitment. That's not faulted at all, but uh, the way that we look in the eye has been a little bit fragmented at times, and I think that's just because the loss of Ian Flanagan, um, probably my favourite Aloha player of all time. Um, just such a classy player, far, far too good to play for us, but he was just so influential in that midfield and we've not quite found the the right dynamic yet in midfield. We've had Schugel floating in and out. We've, we've had Ennis, uh, Ennis Murray floating in and out. You've got Hetherington, who's been a mainstay alongside Ray Grant. Both good footballers. Hetherington, an excellent footballer, but they're just so similar. And it's just trying to find that dynamic. And it really was Ian Flanagan that glued together that style of play. He embodied it. And... Um, And without him, I think we're just going through a little bit of a transition period to find out what's going to work in the future, because it's not been as effective this season.
3: And then I think it would be wrong of us as well to not point out the injuries that Aloff had to deal with. Obviously, Neil Parry spent some time out, Uh, Scott Taggart spent some time out, and Liam Dick also spent some time out. Obviously, three players who've been virtually ever-present for... For the Wasps in recent seasons, so uh, you could maybe say that Aloha haven't really had the best squad available to them on on most matches. Obviously, Allo have one of the smaller squads, being part time, and that that obviously makes it even more difficult, training less. But how much do you think the injuries have played a part? Can can it all be put down to that, or do you think the players that have come in should should be doing enough anyway?
2: It's hard to say. It should all be put down to that because it seems like a bit of a cop out excuse. Because we do have good players on the bench as well, but. You can't underestimate it. You know, you could add Alan Trouton onto that list as well. Spent a big part of the season on the uh, on the sidelines. Um, Stefan Skugel, someone who you know, I was on the podcast earlier in the season, and and I tipped him for big things. It's just never really got going for him for fitness issues. It's been hard because I, I lost track of the amount of defensive you know, lineups that we have. We've, we've used three goalkeepers this season. We've had midfielders in right back. We've had left backs in centre half. We've, it's just been totally chaotic at times. You're throwing the youngsters in against against hearts and whatnot. It's obviously going to make a massive difference. Um, and like you say, when you've got such a small squad, like Alouadou, you really rely on a core 15, 16 players. And if you take four or five of them out for large chunks of the season, especially these influential ones, um, it's going to make a massive difference. And I think we've kind of seen that in the way that that we've got, That that's why we've not really got going, because we've not really had any consistency in terms of the same starting 11 every single week.
0: Adam, obviously, um, again, I'm going to talk about Hearts and Aloha together, but for me, obviously, Hearts have got both wins over Aloha in the league so far I think it's 6-1 in terms of an aggregate scoreline but we've mentioned already that Aloha knocked Hearts out of the Bedford Cup how much do you think Aloha would have traded that cup win over Hearts for one of the for a win to come in the league in one of those uh, league fixtures
1: I can totally see why they would have done so um and Equally, that could well have set up a, a quarterfinal tie between Hearts and Hibs in the bet, So that would have been quite tasty. But um, no, I don't know. Um, I think that to me, I, I, I feel for Kieran, Aloa and obviously Arbroath as well, the part timers, because it just, to me, it seems as though uh, Dick Campbell and Peter Grant have two of the trickiest jobs pretty much in Scottish football. So I think the fact that Aloha have shown that they can compete with the likes of us, obviously eliminating us in the in the League Cup, I, I, I can get why, because to me, cup competitions, if I, if I were Kieran, would be sort of bottom of the priority pile. And I think, should they... Listen, you never know. I mean, if Aloha stay up, then ultimately it won't matter. If If they don't, and it's a case of kind of what we could have done with a handful of points or two, three points, then I'm sure that Kieran would obviously have traded that. So I guess it's it's too early to say either way. But yeah, for, for me, it would make total sense why Kieran and everyone concerned with Alba would have wanted to trade that.
0: We're recording this on Tuesday. There's a huge match in the Championship on Wednesday night. Um, Inverness are playing Queen of the South. Obviously, we hope Inverness do play a match sometime soon so the league table can look like it's going to be relatively normal uh, at some point soon. But if that, if Inverness do pick up the win there, then that's Aloha, um kind of three points off of Queen of the South. in in ninth spot as well and obviously three points I mean they are three points but they're currently two points behind Inverness but Inverness have those four games in hand on basically everybody else in the league so yeah the league table is currently lying but it it looks like there's um, uh, much more twists and turns to come uh, as the season finishes Um,
3: anything else we want to touch on on both clubs Cammy uh, yeah, so obviously prior to the podcast starting, Kieran was saying there's a small minority of Aloha fans who've kind of cited the Peter Grant out movement. Now, I know Kieran is a, not a strong supporter of this movement. Um, so what have you kind of got to say about all of this, Kieran?
2: Yeah, it's it's just the mo- it's Every fan's entitled to their opinion, don't get me wrong. And some people might call me a little bit of a happy clapper and Mr Positive, but to suggest that Peter Grant doesn't warrant his job. I think is really ridiculous. Um, we are still very much in the mix with a shoestring sure budget and with a shoestring sure squad. I think we look back to to the end of last season. Peter had us playing some of the best football I've I've seen Aloa play in, in a very very long time. He's um he's done what no Aloa manager has done either in introducing some of our youth products as well. Brought in Lucas Williamson and Camille O'Donnell, especially. I think have been. Very impressive, and we're still very much in this. I don't. I think you you can be careful what you wish for as a, as as football supporters. And I don't understand what any other manager could do um, that Peter's not doing. I don't think it's helped that um, the live stream have placed a microphone right above his dugout to make him one of the most unlikable moaners and shouters in Scottish football. But I think it just kind of – sometimes when I was speaking about it before the, the podcast, I thought, you know what, I don't even know if I want to – this warrants conversation because I think it's so ridiculous. But clearly people do want him out, um, and I'm pro, I'm just using this as a platform to support Peter, part of the Peter Grant fan club. and <laughs> So hopefully I don't see any reason why he will depart. Um and I and I would hope not. Even if we do, worst comes to worst, come down. I would absolutely back Peter Grant as the man to to lead us back up as well.
3: I mean, I think it would probably be fair to say that with you being Alan part time, obviously you know me and Chris have a great admiration for for the Wasps, but. When when it comes to who could do better than Grant, what what would you say are the kind of realistic expectations for Ellwood? Obviously, we've seen Arbro almost reach the playoffs last year. Do you think that that would be so impossible for Ellwood, or is it simply just kind of getting a mid-table in the championship, and you'd be quite happy with that? I
2: think I think this season is totally unique. This season is just survival at the bare minimum. Whether that's a very scrappy playoff final, and we couldn't care less, just because this season's been so bizarre. I think long term we do want to establish ourselves as a as a championship club. I would probably mention Dumbarton before I'd mention our broth um, as a model that we we would want to to keep. I think they were in the league for seven eight years. Aloha have never really sustained themselves in the second tier for that long. Every manager that comes in, you know, they they shout about wanting to go to the playoffs and whatnot. I do think that's a bit unrealistic, and I'm not sure how viable. That would be but it sounds so boring but just want to be like Dumbarton where like five years ago <laughs> and be a championship club
0: I think so many clubs in the championship just want that bit of stability in the championship too but um yeah well we'll be we'll obviously be keeping a very close eye on what happens for the rest of this season and um Adam, congratulations on the Hearts' championship title win. Where they won't be a championship club for for very much longer.
1: Thanks very much, mate. Um, yeah, no. What what can I say to that? Then I don't know. Perhaps the season was just a waste of time, and that they're I don't know. They're they're just keeping us out of the Premiership for I don't know. A, a, another talking point in Scottish football: something, to, some new form of entertainment.
0: Yeah definitely. Um, we'll maybe not touch on uh, much of that today but yeah let's let's finish up there guys thank you for, for both coming on that was great and uh yeah really good to, to put a bit of much more of a spotlight on both of the clubs and uh yeah thanks again.